Uh, we are in the book of Ephesians. Uh, the, the book of Ephesians is really divided into uh, two different segments. Um, and we are, we are called to understand and study the first part, the first section to make it possible to live out uh, the lifestyle that is described in the second. So we talked about part one, who we are in Christ, chapters one through three, and part two will be how we live in Christ, chapters four through six. So Paul spends these first three chapters of the letter uh, discussing God's creation of a holy community, the church, that by his grace, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has brought members of this community together, um, that we are chosen by God through the work of Christ, adopted as sons and daughters of God, and brought near to the Father through faith in his Son. And all people of faith, Jews and Gentiles alike, that basically includes all of us. Jews and Gentiles alike were dead in their transgressions and sins and had been made alive because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So Paul encourages the Ephesians and us to mature in our faith. You know, that's uh, one of the things I love about studying a book of the Bible is you don't really get to just skip over anything. You know, just to get to pick your favorite, you get to, uh, to walk through these different sections of Scripture. And uh, that's what we're looking at today. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Uh, I don't know if you have a Bible or on your phone or wherever you want to look at it together, or it'll be on the screen uh, for us to hear it together. So Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, then there's a little dash right there. And it's almost like he uh, took a little parenthesis. And he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I will have already written briefly. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of God through his holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of, in the promise of Jesus Christ. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for, which, for you which are your glory. Uh, so as, uh, as we think about this passage today, um, several things. You, you ever been praying and in the middle of the prayer, you felt like you got interrupted? 
You're praying a prayer and a lot of things can happen. Babies can cry, children can, can interrupt, microwaves can ding, phones can buzz, doorbells can ring, sirens can sound, and sometimes your mind wanders. Anybody else with me on that? You're, uh, your mind wanders and you, you're praying, then all of a sudden you remember something that you need to do or something that needs to be taken care of. Um, before you know it, you kind of chased a rabbit for, for several minutes. Uh, and staying focused in prayer can be a challenge at times. And I found that uh, finding means like memorization of scripture, prayer walks, uh, meditation on scripture can help us to persevere in prayer. That's, that's sort of what happens in this moment. Paul is about to pray this incredible intercessory prayer in verses 14 through 21. And so he starts out uh, saying that he is a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And so all of a sudden he gives you this little digression. I'd say a holy digression, uh, not like one of mine, but uh, for a moment, he opens up some truth that the spirit speaks through him before he's ready to, pay, to pray this prayer uh, that was on his heart. Uh, throughout this section, you see the, many of the different themes of uh, Ephesians, and he's ready to talk to us about uh, his purpose. And what he's talking about in these verses is this whole sense of serving God service to God. You know, as a Christian, it is easy to get settled on focusing on yourself. Would you agree with that? That we, we know we should be focused on Christ, but sometimes we get in seasons where we get focused on ourselves. We think of ourselves and I need to let uh, being a Christian recognize that, I, that I'm called to serve. I am called to be a servant of God. That's, that's one of the challenges that you and I have so that I need to think at times, where do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? How can I be this influence uh, for Christ? I need to serve. So the way I want us to talk about this scripture this morning is to look at a checklist that could mark how my service is going. How am I living out as a servant? Uh, I read a sermon from uh, a great old time preacher, uh, Charles Spurgeon. And he said, every Christian is either a servant of Christ or an imposter. I stopped right there and I thought, that's kind of insulting. I mean, he said, you either try to spread the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. So every Christian should assume a posture of service to testify to the grace of Jesus Christ. So a checklist, uh, um, the marks of a Christ-centered servant. So I'll give you six. Uh, six things that maybe you can kind of attach and equate to yourself. Number one, a Christ-centered servant follows the will of Christ. A Christ-centered servant follows the will of Christ. So this passage opens with the, uh, the Paul talking about his present condition 
in verse 1, and then how that is an expression of suffering for him in verse 13. He says that he is a prisoner of Christ. Paul has been called to be a servant, to serve Christ, uh, a special ministry of bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles that we talked about uh, in the last message together. Um, but what we realize is that he is, he is a prisoner. He is facing suffering. Um, he is called to do the will of God. So are you and I. So in verse one, Paul says, I don't refer, he doesn't refer to himself as a prisoner of Caesar. He doesn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That means that Paul realizes that he's in this place of suffering because that's part of the will of God for him. That's a tough place to come to sometimes. It's much easier to blame whether they're causing my problem or they created this situation rather than looking and thinking God has me in this place for a particular purpose. I'm a prisoner of Christ. You know, the most important thing to Paul was not safety or security or a retirement plan. His desire was to do God's will, even if that meant that he was in prison for a while because he realized that his sacrificial commitment to God, that he could be chained to a Roman soldier and yet still bring glory to God in his life. Praise him. You know, they could chain Paul, but they couldn't chain what was inside Paul. Uh, they couldn't chain down the message. Paul was Christ's prisoner. Are you? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Do you say to the master, send me anywhere. Do whatever you desire in my life. I'm yours. Use me, Lord. Wow. So we have to take the gospel to realize that we just don't shrink back in fear. Sometimes we are prisoners of the master. Paul in another place said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So he's serving the king, the master. Secondly, you notice in verse 13 that I connected, these are kind of the bookends of this scripture. He talks about his pastoral heart, that he is serving these people in a way in suffering, but for their, on their behalf. You know, do you see your suffering as God working through that suffering? You know, he doesn't wait to use you simply on the days when you feel good. He doesn't want to use you simply when everything is going perfectly in your life. Because the truth is, if he waits for that day, he won't get anything done from us, right? In our suffering, in our situations, he works in the midst of them, calling us to be that voice of him. So, so in this checklist, we, we can look and see that am I as a servant following the will of God? Uh, if you're looking at the notes, at each one of those places, I put a little blank where it has a check mark and you could write your initials in there where you could think about, uh, do, I, do I receive that? Do I understand that? Uh, is that something I make a commitment to? So would you commit yourself today as a servant of Christ to follow God's will in the good and in the difficult? Number two, 
Number two in this section is verses two through six. And he's talking about a Christ-centered servant understands the message of Christ understands the message of Christ. So Paul here is uh, talking about our responsibility to communicate the message of Christ. And he expresses this desire that we would understand the gospel so that we could express it. He goes on to talk about that we are called not only to share, but that we are called to share the right message. You, You see what he's getting at? He's wanting us to make sure that we understand the gospel, that we know what we're talking about when we're sharing. He's saying um, he has this unique role as a servant of God and Paul's responsibility involved expressing God's intent for the the people to be the household of God, the Jews and the Gentiles uh, together. And he uses this word mystery. And mystery here means that the church is to understand the incredible nature of the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us. This mystery is not like something reserved for a special group of people. This mystery is the message of Christ where we focus our attention on Christ alone, not our ways, but his ways. You know, we have to think about And we have to understand and delight in the gospel, the message of Christ. We must make the main thing the plain thing. Don't you like that? I have some people, sometimes they'll say, well, you make the main thing the main thing. Well, what if we make the main thing the plain thing? That means that we understand the gospel At least we understand it in the way that it has impacted us so that we are able to share the gospel as servants of Christ. Our goal is not to conform people to our ways, to our ideas, to our agenda, but to proclaim the centrality of Jesus Christ in and through and over everything. As you think about Paul's words here, we're reminded, aren't you reminded of the faithful people that understood the gospel that helped you to get saved? There were some people in your life that understood it correctly, that were able to talk to you about it, teach you about it, preach about it, that were able to give us the truth, not just some man-made idea, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, where they're pointing you to him, not their ways, not their agenda, but to Christ himself. Don't you long to be that person in somebody else's life? That you're not getting praise for yourself. But you're saying, look at, look at the Savior. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about what he has done in my life. So we can see that we're not just talking about fluff and story. We're thinking about the truth of the gospel. A Christ-centered servant understands the message of Christ. Number three, a Christ-centered servant is overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ. This theme of God's grace fills this book of Ephesians and a lot of Paul's writing. He's a former blasphemer who refers to himself as the worst of sinners who experienced the overflow of redeeming grace and mercy of the Savior. God's grace had such a humbling effect on Paul and also an empowering effect on him. 
You know, faithful servants love the grace of God. Two things here. First, God's grace should humble us. God's grace should humble us. Because Paul understood grace, he lived a life where he was overwhelmed by the grace of God. Two different times, once in verse 7 and then again in verse 8, he says, grace that was given to me. He deflects attention away from himself toward the proper place of praise, the grace of God. He refers to himself as the least of all the saints. He does that not with, for, for false humility, but Paul is firmly believing that he doesn't deserve the blessing that he's been given. You know, we don't have to serve Jesus. We get to serve Jesus. We have this privilege to be his servants, that even as the inspired Apostle Paul, he knows that he is following a foot-washing, suffering servant. We can't forget that. I am overwhelmed by the grace of God. Are you? When I look at my life, I can see throughout a lifetime of how he blessed me and brought people into my life and the, the different opportunities, all the ways that he protected and all the ways that he gave. You know, it's so easy to stand where you are today and forget about this pathway of grace that has been poured out upon you. Don't forget it. You are a servant of God because of this opportunity. I am blown away by God's grace and blessing uh, in my life. I am blown away by his kindness and mercy. I see him. I feel him. I re recognize all the ways that he has blessed me. Do you feel that? Are you overwhelmed by the grace of God? So true. So fresh. I mean, come on, church. Come on, live stream church, be amazed, be overwhelmed, be so moved by the grace of God that has been shown to you. That's why you serve. He so loved you, so cared for you. How could you not serve him? It's part of the checklist. Following the will of Christ understanding the message of Christ, overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. Number four. Number four is the, a Christ-centered servant proclaims the boundless riches of Christ. We saw that there in the last part of verse eight and verse nine. He mentions this boundless rich, riches of Christ. Paul provides a, a purpose for us, a recognition of purpose. First, I mean, he tells us here that we are to be those that proclaim, and he uses the word boundless. Um, it, could, it could be translated unsearchable, uh, incomprehensible riches of Christ. Did you know that this word only shows up in biblical Greek translation. So it means that Paul was so overwhelmed by the grace of God, he made up a new word for it. He says, I, I need something else to, to express this, a word that would recognize how the blessings of God just continue to flow. It, it's a word that actually means footprints. And so Paul is looking at his life and he's saying, I see him there and I see him there. 
and I see him over there and I see him there. That's the, this boundless love and riches of God of how he has poured it out upon all of us. You know, we, we sometimes think about the opportunity that we have to influence others. You know how, how we are called to be a servant is if I am blessed, if I am overwhelmed with the riches of Christ in my life, then all I'm doing in serving is just overflowing and splashing on everybody else. Isn't that a good way? Be with him. Walk with him. Learn from him, even in your quiet place. So when you're out in the world around you, what comes out of you? is the blessings of Christ, the riches of his presence upon you. You know, the goal of our living, the goal of our proclamation is even in our conversations is not personal praise or what other people might think of me, but rather praise for our savior. We should declare and desire for people to know what a great savior. I don't particularly need them to know what a great pastor or what a great person, or what a good sermon. But if they could say, what a savior, what a savior uh, he is. So we recognize that he remains central in our witness and in our service. Number five, a Christ-centered servant has a high view of the church of Christ. A high view of the church of Christ. Now, if you... If you have a high view of Christ, you should also have a high view of the church. Uh, Ephesians contains a very lofty view of the church, uh, which he's been talking about throughout this book already. He mentions it again in chapter 4 and in chapter 5. Right here in chapter 3, we read, Paul adds this amazing point. He's talking about the church made up of Jews and Gentiles is the place where the wisdom of God uh, is proclaimed. Christ loves the church. Christ gave himself for the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus cherishes the church. Do you? Do we? I meet Christians at times that might love to talk about Jesus, but love to degrade the church. I can't get that figured out in my head because the church is his bride. You know, for you to say that you like me, but don't have much time for my wife, we might have a little problem, right? I mean, it's her birthday, come on. <laughs> but that's sort of how it feels, doesn't it? That you, you might know about God and Christ, but do you love the church? See, Paul is talking about there's this, what's this motivation? What's this perspective about being a servant? So he's reminding us that we, do we love the church? Uh, he's not saying that we love everything that happens or everything. We, the church is made up of people, but we love his church. Uh, he wants us to love the church the same way that he loves the church. So we consider what Paul is talking about here is the recognizing the witness 
that we are bringing glory to Christ. We make known the multifaceted wisdom of God, wisdom that is so great that it's used, he said, to proclaim to the heavenly beings and the principalities and powers all around us. We are called to have a multicolored fellowship, a multicultural fellowship, a multi-ethnic fellowship because we've been called and redeemed and forgiven and made alive and united in Christ. The angelic host is looking down on the church of Jesus Christ that's been redeemed and recognizing that we are a model for reconciliation in the world around us and heaven is watching us. How can that kind of vision encourage us? Can you imagine the people when they first read this, gathering around as farmers and bankers and metal workers and carpenters and shopkeepers and masters and moms and dads and children all reading together this stunning call to be the glory of God through the church. Christ-centered servants have a high view of the church. Could you check that off? Last, number six. A Christ-centered servant draws near to God through Christ. Part, part of the mystery that, that believers can experience, that we can experience, is the nearness of God. The scripture says we can boldly approach God because of Christ. Christ-centered servants take advantage of this marvelous privilege of prayer. We live by prayer. We love prayer. We draw near to God through prayer. We make the gospel known by prayer. If you're a Christian, you know today that you can pray anytime, anywhere. We can draw near to the throne of God through his grace. And we find help in our time of need. We seek God through prayer, through Christ, by his spirit. We can know that he hears us. We know that he is for us. We know that he is with us. A Christ-centered servant is never alone. When Paul returns to what is on his mind, remember the little dash? In verse 14, next week we'll look at the prayer that he prayed. But he paints quite a compelling challenge to you. How's your service for God? How are you living out your relationship uh, with him? A Christ-centered servant follows the will of God, understands the message of Christ, overflows the, by the grace of God in him, boundless the riches of Christ, has a high view of the church and draws near to God through Christ. There's a famous uh, kind of illustration, kind of describes all this, a story of an architect. I think it was uh, Sir Christopher Wren, uh, you know, several hundred years ago. And they are building St. Paul's Cathedral. And visitors would come by and watch uh, the building there. Uh, one visitor came by and there was three workers, stonemason workers, kind of along a fence line, and they were working. And so this, this visitor came by and said to the first man, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm trying to make this uh, piece of stone a foot long and three feet wide to fit right in that spot. Very good. He went, the visitor went to the next person and said, what are you doing today? 
Well, I'm earning 12 cents an hour to help out my family. You can tell how long ago that was. Finally, the third guy, visitor says, what are you doing? He says, I'm helping to build a cathedral to God. That's us right there, right? Sometimes you look at your life as a drudgery, kind of just hacking away at everything. It's all, it's all difficult. I'm all tired. Why am I in this situation? Or maybe you're just kind of earning money. Things got to be done. Got to just make the best of it. Or maybe my life is a ministry. My life is an influence for God. I'm building the kingdom of God through how I live. That's what Paul's up to today. Your perspective changes everything. Your perspective on what is happening. John Wesley said it like this. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can in all the places you can at all the times you can to all the people you can as long as you can. That's pretty good. See, what I'm up to today is to help you see that the inner decision, inner spiritual decision that you make today, right where you're seated, right where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter if you feel like the lowest person on the totem pole or you feel like you've been just living out this, such a life of gratitude to God, the decision that you make today in this place could help change the impact of your influence of what happens this coming week. You believe that? I can make a decision right now in this place that's going to impact my influence for Christ this coming week. And then what you do this coming week and the choices that you make could affect what happens this next month. And what happens this next month could affect what happens this next year. And what happens this next year could affect how you live out your lifetime for Jesus Christ. Oh, I thought I'd get a lot of praise and clapping or something. Man, that is awesome. That's what he called us to do. That's who he called us to be. See, we're in this COVID, we're in this, you know, it makes you feel like, you know, what can I do? And how am I going to deal with all this stuff? Remember that you are a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You are where you are. We are where we are. Not because he created this situation, but he is with us in the midst of it. And he created this opportunity you could live in drudgery. You could live just kind of making it day to day. Or you could be building a cathedral to God. Don't miss your moment. God put you right where you are. Be willing to serve. Be willing to accept where God has placed you. Be willing to let him help you to be a Christ-centered servant of Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? What's been said today, not by me, but by the spirit in you that would, Im that would impact you this morning, that would impact how you think about your life,
how you think about the situation that you're in. What kind of decision could you make this morning in this place that would change everything for you? That would give you a chance this afternoon to be different. Tomorrow and this week to be a servant of Christ. That that would be your number one thing on your mind. That would be the thing that before you did anything else, you would commit yourself to some of these steps along the checklist. Which one of these needs your attention to move you in your service and your walk with God? Jesus, today we thank you for the example from the Apostle Paul. We all realize that we are not Paul, but we all realize that you called every one of us, that you have offered your life, and that today we're not just rolling along, complaining with the rest of the world. We're not just self-centered and focused on our own problems and needs around us. We are servants of the Most High God. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We are overwhelmed by the grace that God has poured out upon us. And we walk out of this building. We walk along in our life with incredible Christ-centered perspective. Help us, Lord, to serve you well, to serve you in our world, and to be these Christ-centered servants of Jesus Christ. Would you do it? Would you in your own heart commit to him today? Would you lay down whatever it is that has you tied up or bound and walk out of this place with such a refreshing move of the Spirit of God to be his servants? Oh, church, let's pray that we can make a difference in our world. Let's make a difference in our spouses and our children. Let's make a difference in the place where we work. Let's walk into those places and into every situation in our life representing, being an ambassador for, recognizing that even if we feel like the least of these, that we are servants of Christ, that we can serve even the least among us because of what you have done for us. Today, Lord, we give you thanks. Thanks for bringing us to church today. Thanks for our friends on live stream. Thanks for helping us to change because of what you have taught us in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen, amen.